everyone, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Lydia Kincaid, and I'm Managing Director of IIM Innovation in Motion. We invest in seed to Series A, ag, animal health, and human health companies. And today we have some special guests with us, um, a couple of co-founders of one of our portfolio companies, Agrisync. We have Jared Westfall and Casey Neiman. So we're going to let them tell you a little bit about their company, what their plans are, some lessons that they've learned um, so that you can learn a little bit about their journey. Um, so Jared, maybe you could start, it off, start us off. Can you tell us what Agrisync is and where the idea for Agrisync came from? Sure. Thanks, Lydia, for the chance to join you today. So uh, AgriSync uh, exists to enable world-class customer experiences to happen at the front lines of field-based industries like agriculture, construction, and animal health. And we do that by building uh, a software platform that serves as a collaboration tool for the folks at the front lines, their customers, and the brands that those frontline experts represent. Uh, we've been at it for uh, about six years, and the idea for uh, AgriSync and the need for a better field-based collaboration software system really came from some personal experiences Casey saw um, in his prior role and in his family farm situation. So Casey, maybe you can give the quick idea origin story. Yeah. AgriSync idea. Yeah, and thanks, Lydia, for having us today. We appreciate it. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a farm kid from Kansas, and I had uh, found myself at Microsoft, and I was in Microsoft's cloud group, right? We were trying to convince large organizations that the cloud was going to be a big deal a few years ago. And um, so I would go into these large companies. Um, a lot of times they were equipment companies or, you know, big ag companies in the Midwest, and all of them were working on really interesting, you know, things for the cloud. Most of them were around precision ag, data, analytics, telematics, all great things to run in the cloud. But when I would go home to our family farm in Kansas and talk to my dad and uncles, I realized that one of the bigger problems that needed to be solved was the support communication and specifically the human capital element of agriculture, right? We were bringing all this technology in, but we had a shortage of experts who could actually help a farmer get the ROI out of that technology, right? What if something breaks? You know, in the past, if something breaks, you could kind of manually fix it. Well, now with technology, you really needed that expert advisor to be able to kind of handhold you through that. And um, so I was starting to think about, well, how could you know, a service be built that would not only help farmers connect with those trusted advisors when they needed them most, but more importantly, start to really building a great customer experience. You know, and think about the way technology has influenced the way that we want to interact with companies. It's no different for a farmer. And so what we wanted to do was kind of make for a very simple and frictionless you know, platform that would allow farmers to have one touch access to their trusted advisors, independent of where they were. And so that was really the genesis for, um, you know, me deciding to leave the comfort and confines of, of Microsoft, right, where I'd been for about 15 years. And, you know, went to my basement, started working on what is now AgriSync. And once, uh, once I kind of realized that as I talked to different prospective customers that we had something, you know, having the idea is sometimes what I would consider the easy part. Um, you know, turning that idea into a company, 
turning that idea into, you know, a profitable entity, turning that idea into a, a business governance where you, you know, can go out and both attract customers and talent. That's when I knocked on Jared's door and said, Hey, I need some help because he had done some of this before in a prior life. And I said, I've got this idea, but I need a wingman to come in and help me with all the things that I stink at. And if you're a founder listening to this, you know, one of the good lists to build is here's a few things that I know. And here's a longer list, probably of things that I don't know. And who are the people in my network that I could go out and, and uh, I really credit, you know, my first and best, you know, sales approach was convincing Jared to come and help me, you know, build this because I understood the technology and the sales side, but, you know, you need someone who understands finance and legal and operations and business governance and all of these other things that you need to have, you know, cap raising capital, if you will, Jared's, you know, done a phenomenal job of that within our organization. So my encouragement to, um, you know, founders is to, to make sure that when you're building that core team and maybe thinking about a co-founder, don't necessarily find somebody with the exact same resume or talents that you have, right? Find somebody that's got uh, a different set of skills because you're going to need both to, to probably get something off the ground. Casey, that's great. And thanks, Jared, for the introduction as well. So, so Casey, you mentioned like the idea was the easy part. And then you had to put together this like actual business and start to grow your team. So um, you reached out to Jared. And then what were the next steps from there? Um, how did you continue to grow the company? And then what made you, maybe you both realized, actually, this could get really big. This could be a venture-backed mm -hmm. business as opposed to maybe a lifestyle business that grows slowly over time. Yeah, no, and I think that's an important distinction for founders to think about early on is what level of scale do they want to achieve, right? What are they driving for? Because there's a lot of great entrepreneurs who are building lifestyle businesses. And I think once you've started a business, you appreciate that more, whether you're walking into, you know, a flower shop or, a, you know, visiting somebody on their own farm. I mean, there's a lot of great lifestyle entrepreneurship that, that are uh, good things to have. I think once we decided that in our case for, um, and again, a lot of times a software as a service or, you know, which is what we are, a SaaS based company, you know, global scale is important and the ability to reach kind of the, the customer experience in ag that we wanted to really redefine the ability to do that, you know, internationally was going to require us to, you know, hire a cadre of people and pursue a set of customers that was going to cause us to need, you know, venture capital. And so, again, being, you know, somewhat new to that, I wanted to have a, you know, a partner who understood, you know, the, the need for how to do that and, and what are things to look for and, and how do you, you know, a lot of times we think, yes, we're giving a pitch to you know, a potential investor, but we're also sometimes interviewing them as a long-term stakeholder in our business. And I think the thing that, that we were, you know, we wanted to have investors, but we also wanted to have investors who understood our business, understood the industry that we were in and, you know, had a focus on that. Because I think sometimes, uh, especially today, you know, there's probably lots of capital 
but is that really capital? And do we understand in our in agriculture, maybe the cyclical nature of our business? And, um, you know, I think we got, um, we, we were a lot more efficient when we started thinking about, let's find investors who we don't first have to explain what agriculture is. Because if they understand the basics of our industry, they're going to understand the, the specific problem that we're trying to solve. And so I always encourage people, find like-minded investors that understand your industry because people will typically invest first in what they understand. And then try to find some common ground around core values and you know things that are important as you build out your business. Because in the longer run, right, let's say that one of those investors maybe becomes a board member or, you know, uh, you want to have investors who in these really important decisions, you know, as a founder, you're interviewing your future boss. So it's in your best interest to find people with, you know, a set of core values and principles and the way that they want to do business that align to, to what you're doing. Um, uh, Jared can maybe speak to a little bit of some of our early early efforts as it related to, you know, raising capital, because he was the, the lead on that. I'd, I'd highlight maybe a couple of things Casey said, you know, if, if, if you're thinking about what makes a particular business plan or idea venture fundable, um, it's, it's tempting for, you know, early career or first time, first time entrepreneurs to, to fall into the trap of believing that, closing a fundraising round is success because it's, it's not, um, it's a step along the way potentially, but it's not the end. It's not what you should be trying to do just to get a press release about how much you raised and what valuation that's it's, it's a financing mechanism, right? It's a growth, um, acceleration mechanism to take venture money. And you've got to keep that in mind and, also be, I guess, brave enough to realize that if your business idea doesn't fit the venture funding model, that's okay, right? Um, but don't go into it without giving some critical thought to that fit piece of your capital and financing structure that you want to use. Um, but when it fits and when it works, it's great. Um, so I, I think when, when we first realized we were getting enough positive feedback from those early customer conversations and we were doing you know, the basic homework that every founder should do if they're thinking about trying to grow faster than their revenues can uh, alone support as far as the expense burn and the scale out costs. You, you got to look at the market opportunity and you've got to understand, is this market big enough and is it attainable enough? And is our model to go to the market um, the right fit to help us get from um, the size we are today to a big multiple of that in a fairly short period of time? And there's nothing guaranteed um, but you ought to be able to um, do some, you know, pretty heavy duty kind of risk thinking about what are the chances that you can go from what you are today to a big multiple of that in a short period of time. And then how can you articulate and explain your plan and answer questions from investors that might want to poke holes and challenge you, but also make you stronger in refining your plan uh, during the diligence process of any investment. Well, thank you both. That's really helpful. Maybe Jared, if you could add on, what did the, what does your fundraising look like over time? So sure. how did you get started? And then your second round or third round, how, how could you describe those to our audience? 
Yeah, I'll um, I'll maybe add just a, a couple of other elements to it for for especially for the entrepreneurs that might be in the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, it's 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 okay to think about pulling um, you know a bundle of sticks together uh, for for financing, right? Uh, one of those bundles is uh, you know pitch contest prizes, right? The five to twenty thousand dollar things, right? Uh, early on. Um, you know, the, the, t- the time versus return trade-off on those is probably worth it. As you get a little more mature, the time versus return trade-off on those diminishes quite a bit. And that's when you have to be thinking about, okay, are there, um, are there early, um, you know, public-sponsored programs like a state um, technology grant or a state development and demonstration grant or even a, um, a non-recourse loan for a few tens of thousands or even a hundred thousand dollars to kind of take it to your second step of keeping the lights on and bringing team members on and building things that your customers have a chance to buy. Right. But then pretty quickly, you've got to understand, are you, are you hitting the traction points that allow you to get in front of an angel investor group uh, or another early stage investor group and pitch them on writing bigger checks um, and for us, that started with uh, taking some convertible debt, um, and we took that as debt, but we were having conversations with lenders who understood that this wasn't, this wasn't a situation where we were going to carry uh, a note and pay them back the note plus interest. Everyone wanted and expected that that note would convert into equity and that those investors would become long-term equity stakeholders in our business. But um, doing debt first, one of the conveniences for all people involved, investors and founders or entrepreneurs, is that it allows you to to have more time to prove out a few more things so that you can have a more, I guess, rational and balanced discussion about the valuation for, you know, so if a dollar... Uh, if you invest a dollar, how much percentage ownership of the business does that buy from an equity standpoint? Early on, most companies don't have a good sense for that. And most investors don't either. And so it turns into a bit of a sticking point in the conversation. So convertible debt can be a way to break through that sticking point, give yourself more time uh, like we did to get more traction and then uh, convert it into uh, an equity round. So after we had a few hundred thousand dollars in convertible debt, um, we went out officially for what we called a series seed preferred stock financing. Um, and we looked for additional capital from a new lead investor. And we were fortunate to find an institutional oh, investor. Call the operator. Was, call the operator. <laughs> we were fortunate to find an institutional investor who's familiar with agriculture and is in, is in the middle part of the U.S. who was willing to, um, to lead our series seed investment round and who was a good fit for the other investors we already had through our convertible debt. And so we, um, we did a convertible, um, we converted the debt into equity, took new cash and everybody uh, who were outside investors or lenders turned into preferred stockholders. And that really was the last capital we've had to raise. We've been fortunate in that sense because um, our, our flow of income from customers since that point has allowed us to maintain the right amount of cash cushion to not just run today, but also fund our additional aggressive growth steps around hiring and geographic expansion and product improvement. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I think that that fundraising life cycle has worked really well for you guys. And it's, it's really made a lot of sense the way that you started and where you're going now. And now you're supporting your business with revenue. And from an investor's point of view, we invested, I mean, AgriSync was one of our earliest investments and we invested right as you guys were starting to convert some of your pilots into paying customers. And so revenue was just barely getting generated. Um, but then over the course of a couple of years, we saw the multiple on that revenue start increasing pretty rapidly and your customer base expanded um, with not only like within your existing customers, but new customers that were coming in. So we saw that growth. Um, and like a lot of investors do, we we doubled down and we invested again, um, which we love to do. We love to support our portfolio companies and help them grow and, and continue to be a part of the journey. Um, and so we always appreciated working with Jared and Casey in the fundraising process and throughout as well. Um, I always enjoy our, our conversations and our updates that we have. So that's also been a part of their fundraising process, keeping all of their investors up to date as they go. And they've come in a couple of times and presented even to our big investor group about what's been going on. So everybody has a good idea of what's going on. I think Jared and Casey have been really great communicators um, as part of our portfolio as well. So switching gears a little bit, um, maybe Casey, you could speak to this from the time you first had this idea for the business to where you are today. Have there been pieces of it that have changed either in big ways or small ways? Um, is this where you thought you'd be when you first had this idea? Well, I think, you know, we all, if we're building something new, we anticipate change, right? We anticipate that we may not have all of the answers initially. And certainly that was the case. So I would say our fundamental belief that the customer experience in agriculture could be improved, you know, through technology, that fundamental belief has remained constant. I do think early on in some of our thesis scenarios, in terms of where revenue would come, you know, we had lots of ideas about that in the early days. And then you get in the marketplace and you actually start to really learn and validate in revenue streams are, you know, in, in our system, there's, you know, typically a farmer, you know, some sort of service provider. And then there's these bigger platform, you know, organizations think big ag type scenarios. In the early days, we thought farmers would be a point of monetization. And I'm so glad we didn't count on that because um, think of all the touch points we would have had to monetize individual farmers, right? to pay for sort of a la carte, you know, support and communication. Instead, we really monetized on that service, that intermediary. And that intermediary was saying, we've got a labor crisis with, you know, frontline experts in ag, there's not enough of them. And so we want to invest and pay for technology that allows us to scale the experts that we do have. And then what we learned is that we also have an opportunity to monetize kind of those broader platform ag companies who say, I have a brand and my brand is important to me. And I would love to understand, you know, what my distribution channel is doing around supporting my brand. And so, you know, we kind of shifted, if you will, from that in customer farmer where there's a whole lot of them, touch points would have been hard. Distribution would have been hard. And we shifted our sales and marketing more toward that middle service provider. And what we realized is they would go out and invite their customers into the platform uh, and their usage and utilization would also help us get introduced to the platform brands 
that they use. And I think this, this whole notion of what is your go-to-market distribution is really important to figure out because entrepreneurs are typically great at identifying and solving a problem. But as a, as a group, we sometimes really stink at distribution. Anything you wanted to add to that, Jared? No, I think Casey's hitting it well, and we'll give him a chance to come back. I'll maybe pick it up here. Um, yeah. yeah, that whole that whole idea or opportunity to maximize um, the efficiency of your revenue stream—that's um, where um, flexibility from day one is paramount. Is, is you're an operator, as an entrepreneur trying to execute, um, it's it's okay to go, you know, go with customers to the point where they're willing to pay so long as, you know, the math fits your overall financial projections and model or has a chance to say the other thing that, um, you know, maybe was a little different for us changed from day one to today. Um, you know, we expected within agriculture, agriculture is a big tent, right? We expected within agriculture, there would be probably anywhere between five and eight subcategories or sub industries of experts uh, that have experts in them, I probably should say, and that our solution would be equally well adopted and equally well used by all of them. And what we found out early on was that we were actually having the most uh, straightforward success with one or two out of the five to eight categories. Um, and so early on, and I would argue even to this day, our focus has been on maximizing what's possible in those one or two subcategories of the big agriculture industry. And that's uh, for us that it tends to look like equipment distribution, both in cons the construction and agriculture side of, um, of some of these big platform brands. And that's served us well, and that's been a big enough sub a market opportunity for us to justify focusing on it rather than saying, hey, we can do that, but we also really, you know, from a challenge or from a pride or from an ego standpoint, we really also just got to go convince this other subcategory to use our stuff. It's good for them. They should figure out it's good for them. We should help them come to that conclusion. We're going to just keep going and hammering on them until they finally figure it out. Um, we have been... Um, willing to let go of that bone, if you will, and go back over here and double down on our efforts around where we were getting traction and where there was still significant opportunity and, and had worried not so much about being seen maybe as a broad agriculture solution, but let's, let's keep working on a narrower focus because it, it's a justifiable opportunity for, you know, return to our investors eventually and uh, it allows us to do the scale out that we want to. And yes, we're a little sad that we weren't able to be a better salesman over here to this category or subcategory of people in the ag industry, but um, we're moving on from that. Uh, and maybe someday we'll circle back to it, but um, we're not worried about it today. That's probably another thing that's changed since day one. But it sounds like across the board, like sure things have changed, but your intent is still to solve problems um, within the agriculture industry. And so I think that's really critical for entrepreneurs and investors looking for investment opportunities. Like if a company is solving a problem um, and the customers are willing to pay money for that solution, then, then that's the silver bullet, if you will. I mean, you just try to force things 
to work um, maybe isn't the best approach. Of course, you could try new things, um, but being willing to like continue to revisit what the best approach is um, and where your secret sauce and where your success really lies, I think is really critical to think that's not just your business, but other businesses, other startups as well. Um, so, so how about some things that you guys are really proud of that AgriSync has achieved um, over the years? I'll, I'll do one first, Casey, and then uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, well, I'll, I'll do two, and then I'll make it hard for you to just think of another one. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm super proud of two things. One is um, that we've, we've, we've had enough progress to, to be able to expand our team and, and have really good people in our efforts on our staff uh, and to provide um, an interesting and challenging and but also stable um, environment for them to plug in from a career standpoint and be big contributors to, to what we're trying to do. Um, you know, we're not a huge staff. We've got um, 25 total people on our roster right now, um, but the people we have are great and the work we, we need everyone to contribute every day. We've got plenty for them to do. Uh, and we are in a position because of some of our successes uh, to provide stability. And I'm super proud of that. Second thing I would be, uh, I, I, I don't know if it's a point of pride. I just get super excited when I randomly hear someone who doesn't know much about AgriSync or know that I might be connected to it. I hear them talking about us in really favorable oh. ways. And I think, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. So I'm excited about that. That's very cool. Those are good ones, Jared. Casey, can you top those? I would say, you know, it was exciting when we expanded internationally. That was a big deal. And I think that, you know, not only proved kind of our ability to scale globally, but it, it forced us to think more, not just about the technology, but also how do we, how do we support customers worldwide, you know, and how do we, you know, extend our reach? I also think that, you know, a, a point of pride is that beyond the service that we have, the team that we built around kind of a common set of core values is, is really rewarding. So if you think about, you know, any young company, you know, those employees, those team members that are coming to work for you, you know, they're coming in because they, they want the mission of the company and they want to be part of building something new. And it's exciting when we have those kind of breakthrough moments. And you see a lot of those in a young company, and that's exciting. And so I think, you know, finding great talent and seeing then those people develop. You know, a lot of times if you come into a young company, your ability to maybe play with the sharp knives a little earlier than if you went to a big corporation is one of the appeals of going to that company. And I think for Jared and I both just seeing, you know, young people and their talents grow and develop in their career um, and really expand in what they're capable of. That's been a fun, you know, thing for us to, to really realize. And, and so, um, you know, super grateful for that. And I think a lot of what I do today beyond trying to, you know, be our best cheerleader and, and think forward, you know, about what's, what's next and how we expand but it's also to be grateful, right? For the fact that we have been able to find our swim lane, you know, find our niche in, in this broader industry 
and you know to be thought of as as kind of the world class leader in in doing this type of work in agriculture. Um, and I think that's a great mission. You know, I yeah, I know Lydia, you guys invest both you know not only in ag but also in health and some other different areas. Um, those are good areas, right, for us to double down on and invest in as a community because. Um, it really does align well to, you know, kind of this broader mission approach of, of the type of company that certainly we try to build at AgriSync. Well, Casey, that's great. Um, and I think as, as parting words today, maybe we'll hear from Casey and Jared. Are there any last pieces of advice? You've given a lot of great advice to entrepreneurs um, throughout this episode. Anything else that you'd like to add, maybe entrepreneurs should think about as they're starting to build their business? You know, my encouragement would be to make sure your home team, right, your spouse, your kids and others are all in for the ride you're about to take them on. Because your dream as an entrepreneur at some point or another is going to become someone else's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage if, if, uh, have that alignment, right? I always, uh, whether it be with myself, you know, or new team members, I always want to make sure that, um, you know, their, their family, their spouse is kind of in on this mission that we're on because it's hard work, right? There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some curveballs. There's going to be challenging days. And you want to make sure that your biggest cheerleader at home is in your court. And I think for me, both being, you know, fortunate to have a great support ecosystem at home, but also a great friend and mentor and, and wingman at work. And Jared has made all the difference, meaning that's how we've gotten through, you know, the bumps in the road. And I think that's a really important thing for all entrepreneurs to kind of, you know, figure out and establish early on. Jared? Yeah, similar vein. I, I would probably extend it a little further and say, um, when you're thinking about finding those other early investors and the people who are gonna be closest to you in the earliest days, um, it, it's great if you have a network that you can draw on um, where you or someone you trust has prior experience with those other folks you're considering bringing into your team. Um, because ultimately, um, it's easy to say this as kind of a, a midlife, mid-career person. Um, it's ultimately who you are, who you are working with, and, and your alignment of your personal values with their personal values will be a, a constant and a bedrock that allows you to get through a lot of the unexpected rough stuff. Uh, and if you don't have that commonality or that um, alignment around personal values and personal style, it just adds a whole bunch of additional potential friction. Um, when things get hard, that makes the hard things feel even harder um, unnecessarily. So my, I guess to say it a different way, I would encourage anybody who's just getting started and thinking about building a team or bringing on outside investors. Um, yes, go fast. Yes, get people excited and get deals closed to get hiring decisions made, but don't sacrifice um, around your core values and principles. Stick to those. Um, it, it will make a big difference in the intermediate and long run if you do. Great advice. I think as entrepreneurs, we often do try to move so fast. Jared, like you were saying, that we forget some of the things that are so important that could make or break the company. And it's just good 
for life um, to be focusing on those core values and your personal values as well and aligning those across your company and your investor base as well. So we'll wrap things up with that. Um, Casey and Jared, thank you so much um, from AgriSync for joining us today. And thanks everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.